Okay. But it's like there's a ton of building out there, so there's a lot of houses and yeah. Not my first choice to live, but yeah, I compromised. <laughs> That'll be good. Yeah. Okay. So there's five primary wrong worldviews, which are big time mental afflictions. That's what we're gonna talk about now. I think we can get through it. We can do it. Okay. <laughs> the first one say jikta. 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 Which is perishable view. And um, Geshe Michael says this is really hard to translate this word. So he almost can't blame all the lousy translations out there. But this one focuses on something which will be destroyed. It focuses on me or my things mm -hmm. and thinks that these things are self-existent. Me means my body, self, arm, legs, etc. And mine means my house, my clothes, my car, my things. And we do all of our non-virtues because of this belief. It's the source of all of our mental afflictions. It's the nastiest one of all. Not having jikta could wipe out all your mental afflictions. Like pride, it's focused on feeling better than others because of your intellect, for example. Not knowing where did my intelligence come from, it came from my morality. And there's something about having something on your conscience that doesn't let you have wisdom. So that's why we have to keep our morality. So you would think, I have intelligence because I've kept my morality. But what does pride do to that? Pride says bad things to other people. It says my intelligence is self-existent. I'm more intelligent than other people. Then I say something bad to others because I think this, and as a result, I lose my intelligence. So it's like we were talking about before. What we're doing in response to the things we don't like is planting the same seed over and over. The last mental affliction, mental affliction that anyone loses in that last moment before nirvana is jikta in its most subtle form, and then they enter into nirvana. Say tarta. 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 This is extreme view. This is often misexplained, according to Geshe Michael, almost all the time. This is holding that things are either non-existent or that they never change. You have tarta in your mind almost all the time. And so if we think about this, did you have any feelings recently? that you don't exist, or that you didn't move, that you were self-existent, something like that. No, we don't, we don't really, we don't have those feelings. Having extreme views that things exist in the way they appear to, or that nothing exists at all, at all. So did any, did any of us come in here thinking either of those things? No. Tarta is an implication of the way you think. If you are who you seem to be, then either nothing exists or nothing changes. So if I really 
if I'm really not your projection forced upon you by your past karma, if you think I'm self-existent, then I cannot change or I must be non-existent. If I were self-existent the way most likely your mind thinks I am, outside on my own, then I would never move. I would be forever stuck. That one we have to kind of think about a little bit. If I had some external reality independent of your thoughts, then everyone would feel the same way about me. They would either love me or hate me. There wouldn't be any variation. It's a little, the idea is a little subtle, so we have to think about it. But it's more implied in how we're acting in the world, what we're doing, thinking, saying. That's where this view comes in. It's not like outright, like, I think I'm not here and no, nothing else exists and everything's permanent. It's not like that. It's just, it's the basis on which we're doing most of the things in our life. Number three, say Lokta. 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 This is wrong views. This is actively believing there's no such thing as karma in future lives. Actively means having decided and then firmly holding the conclusion. So are you having some big mental affliction if you say I'm not sure if past and future lives exist? No, that's not the same thing. That's just questioning. That's being a good Buddhist. Number four, say Tawa Choksin. Tawa Choksin. Tawa Choksin. Having the attitude, I love this one, that your wrong views are the best. <laughs> you believe they're superior. All, All my... <laughs> yeah, totally. All my wrong views are great. Not only do I have them, but you, but you also have this attitude that definitely they're right and they're awesome and everyone should have them too. Rejoicing in your own ignorance. <laughs> you think you're like super smart. Yep. <laughs> Number five, say Sultram Dong Tulshuk. Sultram Dong Tulshuk. Choksin Gi Tawa. Choksin Gi Tawa. Sultram Dong Tulshuk. Choksin Gi Tawa. <laughs> it's kind of hard. I don't know. It's like the gi and then the tawa after is really hard. <laughs> so morality and asceticism believe they're the best. I really like this one. Um, so you believe that mistaken spiritual hardships and morality are the best or wonderful including spiritual practices like starving yourself, causing yourself pain, beating yourself, something like that. And there are these teachings out there, like we hear these sorts of things. But it's no help spiritually to intentionally hurt yourself or damage your body or your mind. In Tibetan Buddhism, we don't think these things are any big deal, like torturing yourself or, you know, like that's what starving yourself really is. But not getting angry when the time is exactly primed and set to get angry, 
that's something that's amazing to be able to do that. So in the Buddha's time, there would be examples of starving yourself, which causes great stress to this precious body that's your vehicle to enlightenment. And any practice like this is completely dumb according to Buddhism. It's your responsibility as a Buddhist, as a practitioner, to take care of your body, not to be vain or attached, but to look at it in a clear way, um, like it's a very good car and you have to maintain it. There's a, I mean, there's examples of people doing prostrations until their legs hurt and they're walking with a cane. You know, like if your body starts hurting, you stop it. It's no, it, like it doesn't take any great effort or any great um, skill to put yourself into some really painful meditation posture and to suffer. I mean, you just do it. It's not, it's not a big deal. It's not a spiritual practice to abuse yourself. So this one is thinking that hurting yourself is some kind of good spiritual practice, which it's not. Okay, and then there's Master Shanti Deva's battle cry. So these six mental afflictions <laughs> um, that we went over, those main six are the scourge of humanity and they're your enemy. I actually was thinking it doesn't show up that clear, but I was like, is this too scary to put up there? <laughs> it's kind of scary. It is. Yeah. It's yeah. powerful. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, can you see his lion head? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these mental afflictions, think of them as your mortal en- enemy, and they're causing you great suffering. And this enemy has ruined you for all time. What we're going to do is make war on the enemy and completely annihilate it. Recognize, seek, and destroy them literally. Don't tolerate them even for an instant in your mind. So you have to start to think of them as the enemy. Don't think, oh, I don't have any real enemies. No, I just don't. These mental afflictions are your mortal enemies, and they have brought you incredible suffering. So get to thinking that all your bad thoughts are the enemy. If you see a bad thought in one of your friends, you go after it and try to talk to them about it. Try to talk them out of it. So this is the one making your life miserable. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. So first of all, the definition that we went over earlier, mental afflictions, it's that they make you unhappy. And if Buddhism is correct, they're also responsible for every physical suffering that you have as well. Cancer, aging, all caused by mental afflictions uh, that created the suffering body. All kinds of physical suffering, car accidents, cancer, AIDS, wars, all caused by mental afflictions from the past. 
So number one, thinking. How long have these mental afflictions been doing their job? So if the theory of Buddhism is correct, they've been doing this to us forever. Destroying your happiness and your health. And if you don't do anything about it, they're going to be there for a long, long time. Normal enemies will at least die or get a new job. They'll move. They'll go somewhere. Um, but mental afflictions are not like that. If you don't do anything, they'll last forever. And we would never tolerate this from if it was coming from somewhere else. You know, if like there was someone that we saw on the outside doing this to us, it, you know, like we'd call the cops or we'd like put an end to it immediately. It wouldn't happen. So recognizing what the mental afflictions are, who they are, and what they ruin. They ruin our mental happiness, our physical happiness, and they can ruin it forever. They have been. So our stress, our bad habits, every nasty thing in our life comes from them. This is all Master Shanti Deva is talking about this. And he, interestingly, he finishes, or he says to make war against them and don't stop until the job is completely finished. So strong, fierce practice against them, smashing all the mental afflictions. And then he goes into describing what it will be like. So normally, in the world, if you're a Buddhist, how would you smash an enemy? Usually you do it with compassion, being nice to them. You know, if they're not like, you know, someone causing a, a huge deal of harm, and then maybe you'd stay away from them. But the mental afflictions, we put up with them or humor them for a single moment, and they get stronger, and they fight back. So it's really hard to fight them. It's not fun. And as you start to go after them, they'll fight back and they'll seem even stronger than before. Um, so just expect it and be ready. They're going to put up a fight. They're not going to die easily. But what else, like, what else would be worth doing anyways? Just letting them destroy us for forever, really, you know? So as long... So if it's really that we're paying attention for the first time, like this is how we've talked about in meditation too, noticing how crazy the mind is. So when we start to pay attention to mental afflictions, it seems like they're getting stronger, but really we're just noticing how they've always been. And it, we can think about it like if we're... So we're really practical in our society, and it takes a lot of time to have these mental afflictions, too. Sometimes it takes hours, days, <laughs> months. Years. Yeah, years. Mm -hmm. So just in the sense of saving time, these things are wasting a good part of our life. We're completely wasting our time on them. Think about how much more you could get done. And people who are able to get so much done, oftentimes they're not wasting time on mental afflictions. So even if we just want to get better at worldly things, go after the mental afflictions, destroy them. The lower the time we're spending on them, then the more time we have in general to be creative and virtuous and do the things that we want. 
So we have to put some effort into it and spend some time devoted to making war on the mental afflictions. And it'll be hugely worth it. So when you look at these warriors that you see who go out to fight in movies or um, even just throughout history, they don't stop and a little flesh wound doesn't keep them from going back. So that's the same thing with the mental afflictions. You just keep going no matter what. And then you expect that you'll take some hits and have some bad days and you'll get discouraged and you'll think that it's worse than before. Um, but we talked about this a few weeks ago. Gesha Michael gives an example of a fisherman and how much he sacrifices just to make a little bit of money to live. He goes out in freezing water for four to five hours to kill the fish, just to make a little bit of money. And it's like we're making a living as spiritual practitioners fighting our mental afflictions, so we can't be a wimp. We, met, we talked about this, I think, last week. So at our job, we put up with so much crap. We get up early, we go through all these hardships. And so not to be wimpy when we get to fighting the mental afflictions. We might lose a few nights sleep through it. But look at what we go through just to pay our, our mortgage or our rent. We put up with so much garbage and then we can't spend a few minutes to fight our mental afflictions. We put so much effort into worldly life and so much pain to get what we want. So then don't half-ass the spiritual life. And we hear, you know, like, we don't have 10 minutes for meditation when we spend 10 hours a day at work. And it just, so it just doesn't make sense if you start to think about it like that. Because all, the mental afflictions are the cause of all of our suffering. So don't be wimpy with them. Be at least as strong as you are in trying to get the worldly things. So we're going to seek out the enemy and destroy them and not give them a moment of our time. So we're not expressing our anger or letting it out. I think we all know that's not, like, that's not the point. Um, the minute we identify the anger, we just completely smash it. We don't sit there, wait for it to pass. We fight it and we use our knowledge. So we also fight it right away and we don't put up with it for five or 10 minutes. Why would that be? Because there's 65 imprints for, per finger snap. So we're planting all of these karmic seeds. And the main weapon is to understand the emptiness of the object and to know where it's coming from. And all of the pleasure in our life or the good things come from keeping our morality. It's really crazy to break our morality because we think it'll get us what we want. So we have to, like... We all just have to hear it over and over and over again, and then we'll, it'll start to sink in, and we'll start to act on it more and more and more. We have to begin to use our wisdom. 
One minute of jealousy will ruin hours and days in your future. There's not, like, nothing is lost that comes up in our, you know, that we do, think, say, do. It's all recorded in our mind stream. And if we really understood how they hurt us, we wouldn't put up with them. So like we're saying, it's not a bad thing. It's not a mental affliction to dislike the mental afflictions. That's what we're here to destroy. This is Master Shanti Deva talking, who wrote A Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, you know, which is all about loving others' kindness. He's talking about smashing the mental afflictions. I love this story. He says, um, he says, if I gave you, Master Shanti Deva says this, if I gave you a bowl of water and told you to put it on your head and walk across the room without spilling a drop, you would spill it. If I took a butcher knife and said, put this on the, put this bowl of water on the top of your head, walk across the room without spilling it or I'll cut off your head, you would walk across the room without spilling it. So the point is, to stop being patient with the mental afflictions. You can do it. They're causing all of your suffering. You have to completely destroy them. Like, use the power that you have. So stop, to stop being patient with the mental afflictions. And we have, we have so many different practices that we can do, too. You know, we have Lojong, um, trying to think of the person as your friend from a past life, uh, that this anger that's coming up isn't going to help the situation. Ultimately, understanding emptiness is the only way to stop the afflictions permanently. Ultimately, through seeing emptiness directly, specifically. But up until that point, just understanding that the boss is screaming because I had anger in the past. Just remembering that. And that screaming, so it's... The karma in its raw form is the feeling of karma. So just trying to watch the anger and not attach to it. According to Geshe Michael, it's total BS. He's never seen that in any Buddhist scripture. It's not about, um, you know, there are practices like this. We can observe our breath and our thoughts and exercise um, being present and with what's happening. But in the last, in the last line of tonight's reading, oh, this is a separate thing. But like we're saying here, it's not the point to just learn uh, to cope with them and it's just okay. There's a way that you're destroying them. You're completely getting rid of them. And there's some way that we think that we're not, we're not allowed to dislike the mental afflictions. Like I can see this in myself as I'm, even as I'm thinking about these things that no, that's wrong, I'm supposed to like love and care for everything. 
But these are the things that are causing all suffering, old age, sickness, death, not just in ourselves, but in everyone. Mm -hmm. So it's for sure the enemy. So being a spiritual practitioner isn't just about like kindness and being like, you know, soft-hearted, which is really important. It is a really important part of it, but it's also smashing these afflictions. Oh, it sounds like hail, huh? <laughs> See, they're getting pissed. <laughs> Okay, we just got done anyways. So in the last line of tonight's reading, someone says, this is another idea, it's, it's kind of separate, but someone says it would be selfish to go into nirvana before everyone else, so I'll work on everyone else's mental afflictions and help them so they can go first and then I'll go later. And... There's a lot of things wrong with this. So first of all, we can't read anyone's mind to know that they're actually suffering or having a mental affliction. We could be the last one. Yeah, they could just be... They could be acting out to help us or practice or... Yeah. So Master Shanti Deva says, don't worry about other people's mental afflictions. If they seem to have one, try to help them. But mainly work on your own and reach nirvana and full enlightenment first. It doesn't make any sense to wait, if any of us thought that it did, you know? So you, you said something about um, not, well, that you're always going to have a mental affliction mixed in with trying to do something good. Like all of our karma is going to be mixed. Yeah. yeah. So there is... Um, so if you're doing the right, like, the situation at work, um, these boys come in, they're talking in another language, and they're, like, taking pictures and videos of us and, like, laughing about it, and I was, like, I got mad. I was, like, um, private property. Yeah, can you guys stop, um, please? I don't even know if I said please. I just said, can you guys stop? Um, and can you leave? Because it's just disrespectful. So they're just, they just walked in and started taking pictures and videos? They were going to get, two, two of them were going to get their pets. Oh. And then like they were younger boys from like, Afghanistan or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Somewhere. <laughs> and they were talking in the language and and doing and I'm seeing them like doing this video on their phone and they're they're like doing something and then they're laughing about it. And both me and my coworkers saw it. I was like, they came in right when she was coming in and it, and then she ends up with one of them and then they left after I told them. I didn't think they were gonna not get a haircut still, but I was just like, you know, the anger came up and I was just like trying to be professional but then like what do you do in these situations because so many things happen that like that you know people are disrespectful and then you're trying to be professional and you're 
I've been not letting them like walk over you because I've had just I don't I don't know. It's really it's really hard practice to say anything. Or you just take and it to say something appropriately, like when when you're angry about something, it's really really hard. It doesn't mean that you don't try to say something, and maybe you don't say it in the way that you wish you could. Um, but you can you can learn from it, and if you feel like there was any negativity in it, you can cleanse it and then think, "I wish I'd worded it this way," and then visualize yourself doing it that way. It sounds like maybe you were. Um, like anger was coming up because you were worried for safety reasons or um, like something just felt off. So disrespectful and I'm like, I'm not going to allow you guys to like sit here, make the customers uncomfortable because it was making me uncomfortable, it was making my coworker uncomfortable. We kept giving each other looks like rolling our eyes thinking, God, do we have to deal with this for as long as we have to give them the haircuts? Like, because, I mean, it's a good at least 20 minutes minimum. Yeah. Um, so you're wondering, what's the, do you have a question? So, uh, Are you wondering, like, is that I not mean, a good thing to do to say something? I mean... If it feels like it's your job and like that's part of your job to say something and you're like taking care of the space and the people who are there, um, I don't think it's wrong to say something. But it's but trying to say it um, not out of anger. Or, uh, you know, like because when we're angry, I don't know all the technical things, but it's like the idea that like something in your brain or something like flips and you can't think clearly so as if you can keep it the anger out of it more you'll be able to see the situation differently and just um, address what's happening not not make it like like it's not a personal thing it's just like this is inappropriate for a business yeah a business like environment you know like it's just like as simple as that it's not you guys are a heck of annoying, and I wish you would leave. It's like, yeah, you know, please, yeah. please respect the space or you know the the people in it. So there's there's different ways of think, saying things. It's really hard to know what to say though, in the moment, especially if you're frustrated about something. Which doesn't mean you don't try, but not out of like. Um, bad feelings towards them. So if it's motivated out of that, then it might be better to wait like a few minutes or let someone else say something who's maybe a little more removed, um, you know, like emotionally. But we only know by... Um, we, I mean, we really learn by doing it, so... It's really, it's a hard call in a lot of situations, you know. But if it feels like it's unsafe or, um, you know, not like 
someone's physical safety is at risk. But, you know, like, just, just like, it doesn't feel like... They're disrespecting you. You're allowing them to disrespect. And, and you're not doing it. Like, and then I was thinking... And then she was telling me after they left that something like that happened to her when she was with the old the manager that hired me. And he was like... Rachel, don't do that. Don't say that. Like, she said something because they were disrespecting her. And and then he was like, don't say that. And I'm like, what? You, who cares? We don't need, like, are we going to allow just because we work here, we're going to have to take abuse for this company and not speak up because a lot of businesses have we have the right to refuse and mm-hmm. we don't have that <laughs> uh, the sign that but yeah I know it's a hard it's a hard situation customer service is really it's a tough industry to be in That's good. <laughs> you have lots of tools. You just have to like figure out which one works and which in the situation. Just like keep trying them until mm-hmm. one seems like it works, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we do the wrong thing or wish we'd done something different, and it's okay. We just um, do something different next time. We'll purify what you know anything we think that we did do that was not right, mm-hmm. and then just like move on from there. Like, it's good if you can learn from what happens, too. And then next time, like, you can visualize, think about, okay, do I like what I said? How can I do that differently? And see yourself doing it differently. And then next time, something different will happen. Usually you'll remember what you visualized. Okay, I think we got to end. <laughs> <laughs> Cheryl's leaving. (laughs) I was ready to do the post. Oh. (laughs) Um, You want? You can leave. Sashi kukich shing le tok drum rirabling shing and dig and party. Sange shing do mikte uarki Jokun andak shing la chuparsho Hirangaru radna mandala kam niryatayami Gewati gewokun Sunam yeshe sok sok shing Sunam yeshe le jungwe Dampa kuni to parshul